Welcome to Periods, Poos and Pimples. My name is Jacinta and I'm the founder and nutritionist of Arenda Women's Health, an online clinic specializing in all things skin, gut and reproductive health. This podcast is for all women who have ever had some level of confusion in regards to their health. Whether you're battling with a skin condition, menstrual cycle disorder, fertility issues or gut issues and you just want to understand what is going on and what you need to do from people who know what they're talking about. In each episode, I'll be speaking with experts in the realm of women's health to give you the highest level of education that you'll need to develop a deeper connection with yourself and your body. Although this information will be super insightful, this information is not for diagnostic or treatment purposes. And please ensure you speak with your medical professional before implementing any treatment protocols. Please do keep in mind, as we may refer to research or specific pathophysiology of conditions, when we're referencing male or female, it is specific to the gender that's assigned at birth and pronouns used are specific to the individual discussed. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to you joining us on this journey. On today's episode, we have Sammy Rose. Sammy is a registered counsellor, weight-inclusive personal trainer, and online coach from Brisbane, Australia. Her main areas of specialty are in binge eating and body image issues, but she also provides general counselling, helping her clients manage their stress and anxiety, navigate life's hurdles, and help clients align more with their values and live a life that truly allows them to thrive. Today, Sammy and I will be covering such an important topic that's so relevant to a lot of people. And this is all about the relationship with food and the psychology behind it, and most importantly, body image issues as well. So welcome to the show, Sammy. I'm so glad to have you on. It's so nice to finally meet you as well. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me on. It's been so nice to be able to organize this because I know there's going to be so many of my clients and so many of your clients that are also going to benefit from being able to listen to everything that you've got to share. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about what you do and the type of clients that you work with at the moment. Um, well, I mean, wonderful intro. Thank you so much for kind of covering, I guess, the main things that I do. But yeah, um, my background was previously in health and fitness coaching. I have been doing that for seven years now, actually. Um, and over the past couple of years, I've sort of expanded more into the counseling space. Um, I'm still coaching as well, but I have just, yeah, started offering one-on-one counseling sessions on top of that just to people who maybe don't have as many specific food and body issues but have a lot of broader kind of difficulty with regulating emotions, all those kinds of things. But specializing in eating issues and body image has been very interesting in that I have a lot of similar clients with both coaching and counseling kind of struggling with a lot of the same things. And yeah, sometimes it's about their history of dieting and all of the things they've done previously. But a lot of the time it is just, you know, eating issues can be a coping tool. And so when we just look at the food side of things and making changes to behaviors around your eating, it only kind of scratches the surface if there are a lot of kind of emotional factors underneath that are coming into play or difficulty managing stresses and things like that. So it's actually been really great, like from a professional sense to kind of broaden my knowledge and help my coaching clients more anyway, um, but then have this extra service. So yeah, that's kind of the main thing that I do. I work with all, I mean, I'm open to all demographics. I guess the main people that I tend to see are sort of women 20 to 40s um, that are, you know, wanting some help mostly with binge eating and body image, but lots of different things that I work with too. Yes. So with the coaching, how does how do you find that ties in more to the counseling side of things? Like what is it in particular that the clients are coming to for with the coaching? 
Um, well, previously I was doing the standard health and fitness stuff, you know, challenges, programs, macros, all of that stuff when I was practicing um, in that kind of field. And over the years, I guess I was sharing my personal journey as well and some of the difficulties I was having with my own relationship with food after, you know, a period of dieting pretty hard for a while. Um, And just seeing that clients are then starting to open up to me about some of the same kind of things that they're experiencing, difficulty around binge eating. Um, Just, yeah, a lot of the kind of behavioral things behind why they were struggling that, um, yeah, it started to just naturally shift more into coaching from like an undieting perspective. Um, So there was a a certain point where I had decided I don't want to do macros anymore. I'm not um, continuing with my like nutrition registration that I had. And I'm kind of switching to a more holistic or holistic is not really the right word, but I guess like more psychologically backed approach of just really starting these clients from kind of the ground up, figuring out where are the negative impacts of dieting that have come into play previously? Can we get you back to like unlearning all of those rules and finding your baseline around eating more mindfully, setting up a routine that feels really good with exercise that isn't just forced or doing what they think they should do. So it's really about kind of taking away the stuff that they've learned prior that hasn't served them, keeping the stuff that kind of does work for them and figuring yep. out what's left and where do we improve from there. So it's very much like more of a, a lifestyle aspect, but still kind of focusing on eating behaviors and, you know, consistent movement and all that good stuff. And I think that's really great because a lot of people tend to have this mentality that only X, Y, and Z regime is going to help them achieve mm. their goals, but it's often then at the sacrifice of something else. So often yeah. people think, you know, the only way I'm going to be healthy is if I'm eating this particular macros, doing this amount of mm-hmm. steps, doing this amount of exercise. But, you know, you could probably feel even your most healthiest whilst you're on a holiday doing the complete opposite of that because you're de-stressing from this regimented yeah. um, schedule as well. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think just zooming out a little more for clients and helping them appreciate those holidays and see it as a stress relief or, you know, be less nervous about, you know, an impromptu social dinner and instead of being like oh my goodness I you know haven't planned for this it's not what I meal prepped it's okay can we be present what's coming up for you why does that make you nervous so we can work on yeah having a balanced life where their yes. you know food choices and their movement complements that not takes away from that so it's a very different style of coaching I guess to where I was a few years ago and it's slowly shifting into a different kind of client goal I don't really work much with kind of the fat loss side of things it's still part of Mm -hmm. a lot of my clients goals but it's not the number one and it's really about yeah rebuilding that healthy relationship with food and with their bodies and falling in love with fitness in a way that feels good and however their bodies kind of naturally change as a result of that is is kind of that secondary aspect yeah exactly and I think sometimes even with fat loss it's not it might not necessarily be the goal, but sometimes it can almost happen naturally just as a result of, you Mm -hmm. know, ticking all the boxes to support yourself physically and mentally Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I find, you know, when we dig into why clients have had problems in the past or, you know, maybe why they've gotten to a weight that they're uncomfortable at in the first place, a lot of the time, if it is things like they haven't been managing their stress or, you know, difficulty regulating emotions. So they're using food as a coping tool. And so there's like binge and emotional eating coming into play. 
Maybe it's the whole binge and restrict cycle and the more they've dieted really hard, the more they rebound the other way. When we can kind of unpack actually, you know, being stuck in this old mindset is what has made things worse for you. We can often kind of, yeah, forge a much healthier path forward by saying, all right, well, if we work on better coping tools, for example, then the emotional and binge eating kind of dissipates over time. That's not going to be a factor. And so just by removing some of those things that ended up being self-sabotage, clients do often see changes and have their body kind of respond just by getting rid of some of those negatives. So it's actually really interesting to see. And yeah, I don't don't like to put a whole like emphasis on it. um, But, you know, if that's what the client is hoping to achieve, like a lot of the time, it does really happen as a byproduct. Yeah. And it's amazing to see the transformation that someone can actually make once they're addressing more of that psychological aspect of their relationship mm-hmm. with food. Because I even see in my clinical practice, it's all well and good for me to tell someone to do X, Y, and Z because it's going to help their skin or their hormones. But you've really got to get to that root cause of why we eat the way that we do. Mm-hmm. And that's like trying to change that just by changing the the pattern, like, you know, don't eat chocolate or don't, mm-hmm. don't drink coffee. It's It doesn't even touch the surface of why people actually do that habit to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Identifying that deeper why is like probably the biggest part of my work, if anything, really, is why do you do that? Why have you done that previously? Why do you think this would or wouldn't be a good thing for you? And it's really kind of putting it back in the client's hands to kind of dig deeper into what their behaviors are and instead of just seeing it as like, oh, I just, I must do this because I'm lazy or I just eat this because, you know, I just really must be addicted to chocolate or sugar. It's like, okay, but why might you be craving those things? What's coming up? Is it a food rule? Is it a tiredness? So your body's like throwing all these signals at you to get that sugar in. So yeah, it's kind of a fun, fun game to figure out why things are happening underneath. 100%. And the food rules are massive. It's often like when we're told we can't do something that all we want to do is have that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just kind of becomes an obsession. Yeah. (laughs) Back to that restrict and binge cycle, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, in your journey, you said that you started in more of that health and fitness kind of realm. So, is there Mm -hmm. something on a personal level that then brought you more into the counseling realm? Um, I mean, really, I only first kind of thought to study counseling because I just wanted to better support my clients, the coaching clients that I have. I never really like set out to be a counselor as such. I just really wanted to do the course to get the skills to kind of have that as a, an up level, I guess, because I kept finding that, you know, clients were opening up to me about really personal, really vulnerable things. And I wasn't sure I had all of the tools, you know, I'm always great with support, I guess, but you know, I wanted to have more strategies and, and evidence-based kind of things to give them to help work through the stuff that they were coming to me for. Um, and I just really fell in love with it. When I got to my placement and I did some kind of practice clients, I was like, oh, I love this. I was getting really great feedback. I'm like, if I'm good at it. Um, yeah. So yeah, now I do probably more counseling than coaching, I'd say maybe only a little yes. over 50-50. Um, but yeah, I really love it. It's just been really helpful, I guess, for my coaching clients, for obviously like branching into this counseling and also just so much that I've learned myself along the way. A lot of the things that I was kind of focusing on, especially with my like additional certifications and things that I've done once mm-hmm. I was qualified is learning more about the stuff that I'm really passionate about and interested in like eating disorders and like body image and all those kind of really small niche things that I've tried to learn more about. Um, 
And yeah, I think just being on such a personal journey that is so similar to what a lot of clients of mine experience has been really helpful in that I've been there kind of in the trenches. I, a lot of the time I'm like, yep, I absolutely know what you're talking about. I've, I've felt that or I've done that. And I think that can help to be really relatable. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's helped me heal a lot of my own stuff as well along the way of my learnings, which has been great. And being able to resonate with people then really helps you then, you know, pave out the next steps of what they might need to do on their journey too. So what kind of challenges did you find even on your own personal journey that you Mm -hmm. then needed to make some changes to be able to kind of get you onto that track? Oh gosh, there are so many, (laughs) there are so (laughs) many. Um, I, was really struggling for a while in terms of like chronically dieting. I was competing in bodybuilding shows for a couple of years. And so that requires a very strict <laughs> regime of training of, of food. And I had, I had these issues before, I guess on a smaller scale, but they just really came to light with just the level to which I was pushing myself throughout that time in like sort of 2015 to 2017. Um, And after that, I was experiencing some difficulty with binge eating after being so restrictive. So I, I, you know, tried to be as open and honest as I could on social media at the time about that I was struggling um, because I, not that I share every single detail of my life, but I think things that are relevant, I try to be open about just so people kind of know and see that. Yeah. So people can also humanize you too. I think that's a thing on social media. I think if they're just seeing that one aspect that it's like, oh yeah, you're competing in body Mm. comp. So she's got, she's Mm. got such dedication and Mm -hmm. there's this, but I think it's so important to then open that part of you that can be really raw and be like, actually, this is how it can impact you um, on another level. And not everyone goes through that same journey, but Mm. you know, for some people they do. Yeah. And I think for me going through it and not really seeing other people talking about it, I did feel like I was kind of the only one struggling to that extent or, you know, it just wasn't talked about, which kind of adds to that guilt and shame and embarrassment if you're dealing with binging or anything of that kind of nature. So I just, you know, tried to put it out there, tried to work through it um, on my own. And, you know, as a result of the pretty frequent binge eating for the first few months post-show. I gained a lot of weight in a really short period of time. Um, So then body image issues kind of came along with that. And I was in a really sort of rough place for a good chunk of 2017 until I sort of found my feet again. And I tried like hypnotherapy. I tried a psychologist. She didn't specialize in eating disorder. So it probably wasn't the best choice, but you yeah. know, I just, I, I went to her and I was like, I just want to know how to eat like a normal person. Like I only yeah. know how to diet really strictly and rigidly to the point of being miserable, or I know how to YOLO and be completely like feeling off the rails. Like I did not know yeah. how to just kind of live that life in between. And I kind of just had to figure it out on my own. So a lot yeah. of the things that I've put in place for my clients are things that I tried and tested in that time too. And really it just came down to a lot of like self-development, I guess, to understand like that deeper why of why I was struggling with a lot of these things and just, yeah, increasing my awareness around my behaviors so that I could understand what was triggering me and and try to eliminate some of those hurdles. That was the kind of the biggest thing that I sort of put in place was just, yeah, trying to get really curious about what's happening here. Why did this happen? Why was today a harder day than, you know, yesterday where I didn't binge and really just kind of doing that investigative work. That's amazing that you're able to do that. Like 
on your own, well, you know, with some with some support along the way, but I'm sure a large part of it, like you said, kind of just sitting and reflecting. And I think that's where the whole self-awareness comes into it, doesn't it? Like you mm. need to be aware enough to be of your pat to be aware of the patterns that you have, mm. how they probably differ to what you were like before. Yeah. Um, but where kind of you want that to change. So then you've got to figure out those next steps of how to really kind of hone in on those whys, like you said, the yeah. why you're exerting a particular behavior and then keep mm. questioning that yeah and it was really hard because as much as like yeah I kind of tried to get support at the time there wasn't really anyone that I found at least that got it and really like made much of a difference so I feel like I did kind of have to do a lot of that work on my own and so you know it took time and I had to learn to be really patient with myself patient. and like mess up along the way and learn from it and just kind of allow myself I guess to embrace like kind of like a pendulum swing, I guess, essentially mm-hmm. where I was coming from this really, really rigid, restrictive background. I had to kind of swing the other way to just experience zero restrictions, zero rules, really fully let all of that go, which did kind of initially include binge eating and feeling not great. But eventually, like once I stopped resisting that, once I stopped telling myself I'm going to be good tomorrow or I'm going to cut my food back tomorrow and all of those things that were actually triggering me, I naturally kind of found that happy place in the middle where it just was like this massive sigh of relief of like, okay, I want to eat healthy food again, but also I'm not going to, you know, feel like my world is ending if I have chocolate on a Tuesday when I used to say like only on my cheat days and all of those things. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, that's probably, yeah. no, it's not the most tangible, but it's, um, yeah, it was a lot of digging. So I'm glad at least I can, I can walk people through it now. It doesn't take them as long as it 100%, takes me. 100%. And that can often be one of the trickiest things that, you know, to navigate with clients as well. It's that fine line between wanting to work on your body so you can really feel your best and trying to make sure it's not becoming an obsession as well, because in clinic as well, I'm sure we see a lot of orthorexia mm-hmm. and you know we know that can essentially really trying to stem from trying to perfect things as well so yeah how do you help your clients trying to find that sweet spot where they're just living their life in terms of really helping to support their optimal health but not mm. becoming an obsession mm. it is a hard one especially when clients do you know like they feel like fat loss is one of their most important kind of goals. So that's kind of a big part of my screening process as well is to make sure that the clients are okay with, even if fat loss is part of your goals, there are other things going on that will get in the way of that regardless. So can we work on that first? So I do have a bit of a chat with my clients around, are you okay with with putting that to the side temporarily even just so that we can do a bit of groundwork for a month or two at least of just repairing your relationship with food getting into a good level of consistency and then we'll chat about it and see how you feel at that point. And sometimes clients are like, yep, cool. I've gotten over my hurdles and I want to sort of start focusing on that and we can do it from a more healthier foundation. But a lot of the time clients are like, actually, I feel really good. Like whatever happens, happens. I'm happy to just kind of keep going right. on this path because they feel so amazing after letting go of all of those kind of things that have just been keeping them in that obsession. So it's so freeing a lot of the time that they're like, yeah, okay. Like if I lose weight, great. But actually I just feel so good. Like I don't want to mess with anything. And I love when that happens. That's amazing. And just like surrendering to what happens and not needing to try to control the outcome. Whereas Mm -hmm. I guess that other side of the health and fitness coaching is really regimented to control Mm -hmm. an outcome of what Mm -hmm. the check-in weight is going to be at the end of the week or what those measurements are going to be or what calories you're going to be increasing or decreasing to. And it's just a different, completely different perspective. Yeah. And it's so much pressure. And I guess, because for me, you know, I don't do like 
weight and waste with my clients in their check-ins unless they specifically request it. It's very much optional and only if I think that it's like neutral for them. So for most clients, I don't talk about any of those stats or they don't send me pictures or anything like that. And we purely focus on how do you feel this week? How did you feel about your food choices? How did you feel about your workouts? What would you want to do differently to like focus on the feeling good part? Because a lot of the time they are the things that, you know, look after your body better. So it's all just about really focusing on like what are the health seeking behaviors or health promoting behaviors that we can do consistently, whether they impact fat loss or not, are they going to make you feel better? And they're the things that we always start with. So that's, are you eating enough veggies? You know, are you getting in enough protein, um, drinking enough water? How often would you like to move? And like, does that fit in with your schedule and your energy levels? You know, all the basics as well as like sleep, stress management, getting on top of their self-care. And so a lot of the times, yeah, when we put those as the focus in the forefront, sometimes bodies change naturally just from doing that and having a different focus and not having it be, I'm not allowed to have pasta for dinner. It's, I really want pasta for dinner. You know, do I want to add some veggies in there? Because I know that that's going to help me feel really good tomorrow and help my digestion. Or is it, you know, this is one of those times I just have a beautiful cheesy pasta and I know like nothing, you know, is going to set me off and tomorrow I'll have more veggies if I need it. You know? Exactly. I absolutely love that, that it's focusing on feeling rather than the looks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in all of your check-ins, you're not really focusing on the measurements or the numbers or anything Mm -hmm. like that, or a picture. It's all just getting them to really refine back what they're feeling in relation to the things that they're actually doing Mm -hmm. on the day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I think that's, that's great. Yeah. If you think about it, even when it comes down to fat loss goals, for example, if you want to lose weight, it's not always necessarily about the weight. It's often the feeling that you think will come with that. So I think I will be more confident if I lose this weight, or I think I will, you know, put myself out there with dating if I lose the weight, or I'll wear this crop top to the gym, or I'll feel really energized, even when it's people that say like, I want to lose weight for my health. Okay. How do you think that's going to make you feel? Is it that, yeah, you'll have more energy, more stamina, you'll sleep better, all these great things. Okay. But do you actually need to lose weight to do those things? Or Mm. can you start focusing on feeling those things now, regardless of if you're working towards a certain body, a lot of those things you can feel right now. You can feel confident in the body you're in now. You can feel more energized in the body that you're in now. What are the behaviors that support that? So that is not, I need to lose 10 kilos to feel more energized. It's, I don't feel energized right now because I'm not prioritizing my sleep. I don't eat enough veggies. I don't drink enough water. Starting there helps you feel good in the body you're in now, even if you're working towards one that you want to look different. Yeah, that's, I love that. Cause I even just think about, makes me think about the relationship that I had with food or with my body, even when I was younger, it was so fixated on, you know, when I'm a particular size mm-hmm. or when I'm a particular weight, then I'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy how much that even then turns into body dysmorphia because then you can become that size, but then mm. still think you're a completely different size or feel completely not the way that you expected yourself to feel. Like you think when you reach this particular goal that, mm-hmm. oh my God, all of a sudden the next day, everything's going to be completely different. Yeah. And it, it's not that way. It doesn't. And I think fixating on like pinning all of your happiness and confidence and all this amazing stuff that you think on like, yes, when I see that goal weight on the scales, like I'm going to feel all those things. 
it you miss so much in the meantime of doing those things that could actually make you feel really good. And yeah, like you said, a lot of the time you get there and those things don't happen. They don't happen. Like, no. you know, there are elements that definitely do get easier with losing weight. Obviously, we can't deny there's a lot of, you know, societal fat phobia. Sometimes people do make mean comments. Sometimes, you know, healthcare isn't you know, fairly distributed in people in different bodies. Um, and even just things like being able to shop in clothing stores. Like if, if you're in a bigger body and you're getting into straight sizes, I guess, like realistically that does make it easier, but you know, there's some small kind of things on the list of the pros for fat loss. Whereas, you know, there are so many more pros to just focusing on health and feeling good. And that really has such a huge impact on our physical and mental health. So instead of, instead of focusing on like, I need to lose weight to feel all these things, but doing awful things in the process that make you feel worse, like getting really restrictive, not being social, like isolating yourself just towards this goal. It's like, okay, again, like how can we feel really good now? Prioritize those healthy behaviors that are going to benefit me physically and mentally. And regardless of kind of where you end up, I think you'll always at least feel better for it. Exactly. It's almost a part of manifestation, isn't it? Like you're manifesting mm-hmm. the way that you you think that you want to feel once you reach a particular goal, just by starting to do those more health-seeking behaviors, like you said mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on that note with what you said with society's kind of expectations of particular things, mm-hmm. um, I guess a lot of our thought processes and why we do the things that we do can really then impact, you know, our body image and how we view mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, so how do you think there's particular things in our external environment that can impact our body image? So what kind of things do you often see as a reoccurring theme with your clients? Mm, there's a few that are really quite prominent in a lot of people that I work with. And one is that a lot of the time we pick up these beliefs around food or our body from our mums. A lot of the time, this is not mm-hmm. to like parent shame anyone, um, No, not at all. but it's, it's, you know, essentially we pick up little small habits at such a young age that we just kind of absorb the information of what other people are doing around us. And so a lot of our eating behaviors come from our parents or those people really close to us when we're kids and we're told, you know, you have to finish everything on your plate or mom's eating a different meal. Like, oh no, I can't have bread or, you know, seeing one of your parents talk negatively about their appearance or someone else's appearance, little things like that can kind of create the lens with which we kind of view the world. So we view it through whatever lens our parents essentially viewed it through, at least in that young age before we develop our own opinions. So that kind of sets us off on a certain tone. And again, like this is not parent shaming and especially sort of the generations before us, they obviously learned it from somewhere too. So it all just gets passed down and passed down. And I think it's drastically changing now too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been really great to see. And I know like the generation of kind of my mom's age, they got a lot of like, the craziest diets through like the yeah. 80s and 90s that were just wild because that's when the whole like health and fitness craze really kind of started to k- kick off like 70s and 80s yeah. Yeah. so they learned a lot of that through what they you know thought was the thing of the time and then kind yeah. of got passed on to us and then we take that and run with it and then there's magazines 100%. and media and now social media that all kind of perpetuate this same sort of beauty ideal we see like influencers taking off just because they're beautiful um you know movie stars and all this stuff like even just magazines comparing bodies it's so like in our face or at least it was like while magazines were really really big you know you would be waiting in the aisle 
like 12, 13 years old, I remember like waiting in the aisle and asking my mom to buy little magazines and even like Dolly and Girlfriend magazines, like the ones that oh, targeted sure. at kids. Like I've found like the headline, like cover, um, what are they called? Sentences. <laughs> yep. really um, of like things like how to lose weight. Like oh my god for kids, kids. yeah yeah how That's to burn insane. fat fast was one of the ones with Miranda Kerr yeah. on the cover and like oh yeah it's just it can it can be so toxic like I even think about it's so interesting how you said about parents like the very mm. first diet I probably went on when I was in year nine was one of those like well maybe even younger than year nine when you think about it, it's like a 13 mm-hmm. or 12 year old doing that mm-hmm. it was one of those little um Weight Watchers counter books mm-hmm. and it's like <laughs> yeah I had like one of learning. those like the little pocket oh my god. one yeah like yeah. you learn about what you can eat mm-hmm. through the amount of points that you're allowed to have mm-hmm. in the day um and it's just insane like oh mm. so, so two slices of white bread equals this amount of points so I can have that for, for breakfast and then mm. it's just such a silly thing but like you said our parents generation that was very much like there was so much diet culture mm-hmm. for them yeah um, so it was almost only natural for that to kind of be um what we were constantly observing mm-hmm. as well and I actually had one of my clients this week and it was such a great way that she spoke about how she was trying to impact or influence her children's diet was mm-hmm. she she had chosen to eat a particular way because she found that was good for her skin or that mm-hmm. was good for her um that was good for her metabolic function mm-hmm. but it wasn't in any kind of restrictive way she was actually like no actually this is just what makes me feel good mm-hmm. um, and she just said that she would make sure that her partner when he was dishing up a plate he would say to her is mum feeling like potatoes tonight or does mum yeah. not feel like potatoes tonight? Um, and she's like, no, I don't feel like potatoes tonight, maybe another night. And she said that she would just talk about it in that mm. way so that if the kids were listening, it wouldn't be like, oh, no, I'm not allowed to have potatoes because yeah. of my diet. It mm-hmm. was like I'm actually not feeling like it, which generally she didn't feel like it. Yeah. That's but just so great. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's such so a good. good such a good way to talk about it because kids are sponges. They'll literally mm. just absorb anything and especially they'll put their parents on pedestals. <laughs> and be like, I just want to yeah. do everything yeah. that mum does. I want to copy, yeah. I want to do everything. And that's that's how I started dieting. I saw my mom dieting and I yeah. got on amongst it and all the crazy she was doing like the soup diet and the active yeah. diet. And I was like, I'll tag along, I'll do all of these things. Yeah, and this so- is what we do with our diet. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, she didn't know that it was going to be harmful. Like she was just doing what she was doing and was like, cool. Okay. As long as you're eating, you know, (laughs) so like, it's just like such little things, I guess, that kind of plant that seed in our head and then different encounters that we have along the way or whether, you know, other people make comments about our body or what we're eating. Like we, we gather all of this information from those people around us and from these things we experience in life. And so a lot of the time that's how we do fall into like chronic dieting, pressure, feeling like we have to look a certain way. Maybe we've been bullied or picked on about how we look or we've been rejected really awfully in like a dating situation because yeah. someone commented on you know, your size. Like those things really do stick with you as well and just perpetuate yeah. that same kind of notion that we sort of already believe. So it can be yeah. a hard one to undo again it's a lot of that unlearning of like where did I get this narrative from and does this actually really apply to me so why do I not feel comfortable eating certain foods why do I believe like such and such body is is the dream number like 
sometimes people's like goals also are so random. Like mine was I had this specific goal weight that I always wanted to get to because that was the weight my mum was in this one particular photo that I really liked. Wow. Her, right. And I was like, how much did you weigh in this photo? And I was like two or something. And she, she had a banging yeah. body. She was an aerobics yeah. instructor, right? She was very active. Like she did genuinely like look after herself and was like quite healthy. But I just, I had that number in my head from such a young age, probably like 12, 13. And so anytime wow. when um, magazines had like listing what celebrities' weights were, I was like, okay, are they my goal weight? Like, what do they look like? And I just, uh. I was fixating on this one number. And it's so wild that I just thought that this number, like, obviously, because I was like, well, here's how my mum looks and here's how I want to look. But it just, it got so much more than that. And it was so like, yeah. I, I need to get to this number. This is the number that I'm going to feel good. And it's all absolutely these people. crazy, isn't it? Like in, like in that moment, we were just like, yeah, this is so real. Like mm-hmm. I can do that. Yeah. But then when you think about how much that can affect your day-to-day purely because of a number, mm-hmm. so interesting that how easily little external things could sponge from that. Yeah. Completely change your behavior if you didn't view it otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And we just, we're always changing and evolving and growing and learning new things along the way. And it's just figuring out where have we learned the unhelpful thinking patterns and how can we kind of change that? So if it is that you've picked up things from parents or from school or your teenage friends or media along the way, it's like, does this belief or does this behavior really align with how I actually want to live my life? Like Mm. me, genuinely me on my own, in my own little bubble, is this how I'd want to live? And I think that's one of the kind of reality checks I had to give myself was like, okay, yeah, when I was competing and when I was at my leanest, I had people commenting like goals on my photos and like, you know, complimenting me, hyping me up about my abs and all this stuff, which like did feel nice, but also I was still really self-conscious. I would still Mm. take 50 photos to get the one like okay the one had abs whereas now it doesn't but it's still like I wasn't like instantly confident when I was like well but the things I have to do to look this way and to get this praise like I don't feel good anymore I feel like I'm missing out on life I'm missing out on date nights and social events and energy levels like I had to just like sit down or lie down so often because I was just exhausted all the time from eating so little and I was like this is actually really like getting in the way like it's just yeah, not even you're not living your best life at all yeah by doing that yeah so I guess this is where the whole comparison thing comes into it too with social mm-hmm. media so mm-hmm. in terms of comparison I guess we can view comparison as almost like a competitive comparison kind of like where you look at someone you're like oh I have to be that way so mm-hmm. I have to do x y and z or you can almost look at it as kind of a constructive type of comparison which you know we would look at something and be like this is actually something that I aspire to be but what Mm. can I do in a healthy way to try Mm. to achieve that so what specific barriers do you help your clients set when it comes to social media around filtering through what is competitive comparison and what is constructive comparison Mm. I think like again taking it back to the why is really important so if it's that you are following people on social media and the why is like just because they look really aesthetic maybe they're an influencer that all they kind of do post is like really beautiful photos and outfits and you just follow them for the visuals is that helpful to you or is that not because a lot of the time people do like compare themselves negatively and that can be really difficult when there's no context it's more likely going to be a negative comparison versus you know having the opportunity to have it be inspirational and constructive so if that person is 
not exampling a healthy lifestyle and, and a life that you would actually want. And it's all you see is these photos with no context. And that's probably not a healthy comparison. So mm-hmm. I try and encourage my clients, I guess, to unfollow or mute the accounts that are just there for the aesthetics, maybe just follow some fitness influencer purely just for the photos of her abs. And that was like your motivation. Reducing that and really focusing on, can I follow people that demonstrate what I want for my life. So they demonstrate, I don't know, mindful or intuitive eating. They demonstrate a really healthy relationship with exercise where they change it up all the time and they're really regular with movement, but they're just like really vibing it. Or is it that they're really confident in a, you know, not so traditionally accepted body? Maybe it's a bigger body or a disabled body or, you know, whatever it might be. Having more variety in who you follow, but having them demonstrate like characteristics or life aspects that you want is a really great way to switch it to that positive comparison because comparing is kind of a human nature thing. Like we will notice I am different to this person, but you being different to this person doesn't automatically mean that you're worse. Yeah, It doesn't mean that they're up and you're down. It just means that you're different. And without the context, it's really hard to kind of take that inspiration. It's just, I'm not as pretty as this person. Okay. But is, you know, she posting things that are really heavily edited and she actually doesn't look like that. Is she, you know, struggling with an eating disorder and that's why she has a thin body. Is she absolutely miserable in her life? And you just don't see that. You don't have that kind of context behind like purely aesthetic photos. It's not to say that that's exactly happening, but you don't know versus someone that's role modeling, really healthy behaviors, good life, great energy, good personality. You're like, cool. Okay. That's what I want to do. And I can kind of see how this is happening, whether it's just from them, like showing their day, whether it's like educating and having like purposeful content, it's going to give you a little more to work with to say, oh my God, I love that that person's there. And yes, I'm here and I'm maybe not there, but I can see how they're doing that in a healthy way. I can see that that aligns with my values or that would feel really good. Like they're the kind of positive comparisons that I think can be helpful. For sure. I think it's so important to follow people that you can see are real in the sense that they're showing you probably a part of a part of their life, but also that aspect that is truly them, like the mm-hmm. raw mm-hmm. parts of themselves. Um, like I guess we, in terms of our page, like we obviously it's for our clinic, but we mm-hmm. all often get people to be like, oh, but your skin's your skin's great because we're a skin clinic. And I'm like, Mm. yeah, but I'm also on the camera. You can't see what my skin looked like half an hour ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so like, you have to just try to almost like, I'm sure for you, it's the same being on Instagram. You have to be very um, aware of the things that you're posting because Mm -hmm. you don't want to convey a message that's true either one way Mm -hmm. or the other. Yeah, it's a tough one, but I think everyone everyone struggles with comparison to some extent. Like it is a very, yeah, very normal, very common thing, but it's just, trying not to put yourself down in the process. So if it's that someone has something that you want, is that achievable for you? Is that achievable without compromising other things that make you happy? Like when you kind of put your quality of life first and forefront, that will tell you whether you're on the right path or not, like a bit of a compass point to say like, this is how I really want to feel. Would those behaviors align with that? Does that goal align with that? And if it's just like, I'm envious that this person just kind of naturally was born beautiful and thin and like looks great. Okay, cool. Then like, that's great for them. That doesn't take away from all of the amazing things that you have going on for you. They're just different. 
Exactly, exactly. And sometimes I even suggest to my clients, depending on where they're kind of feeling mentally with their relationship with mm-hmm. food or their relationship with their body, or I can see that social media is really impacting them. It might be a matter of actually saying to them, look, maybe you actually need a few days off social media so you can almost mm-hmm. get to your base, find mm-hmm. out what your base is without all mm-hmm. these external influences then jump back in and you'll be able to pick out what your triggers are going to easily be because you've had that time. Yeah. Uh, And then you'll be able to see what needs to go and what needs to stay. Absolutely. Great tip. So how do you find individuals' personality traits can actually really impact their body image So, or their relationship with food? So, for example, with perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people can have this nature to want to perfect everything. And mm-hmm. that can be really great when you're trying to achieve some particular goals, mm-hmm. but then it can also be harmful if it's used to a particular extent. So how do you help to navigate how to harness some of your own personality traits so it's it's beneficial and it's not harmful in that way. Mm. Yeah, I would say probably the biggest traits that do come through, one is definitely perfectionism and another, which is sometimes combined, sometimes separate, is like a need for control. doesn't even have to necessarily be like perfect, but just I need to have this planned. I need to know what to expect. I need to be the one kind of, you know, putting these things in practice and then I feel in order. (laughs) They're the two probably biggest things that I definitely see coming through with a lot of clients. And both of those tendencies kind of lend themselves to like black and white thinking of just like, this is, this is what I see as acceptable or correct behavior. This is how it needs to be. And anything outside of that feels not good enough a lot of the time. So in the whole black and white thing, I guess it's identifying like where those perfectionistic or like control requiring things are kind of coming in, in terms of their behaviors. And is that a healthy thing for them or is it not? Sometimes it is a motivating, healthy, you know, driven to succeed in a really good way kind of thing cool. We'll identify where it is helpful. Maybe it's that they really push themselves when they are physically like, you know, at the gym and they really get the most of every workout because they are just really hard workers. But it's also having a look at where is it detrimental? Is there a point of which that's really good to push yourself in the gym, but then do you struggle to implement rest days and beat yourself up over it? Because it's not the five sessions you planned for the week if you only got three or four. So Mm -hmm. it's, seeing where that line is for each client and it's a different line I guess for every single person and what you know feels good for them um but saying where is the line there and then outside of that how can we get comfortable with imperfect action because that's what being a human involves (laughs) you know we can have a plan we can have these things that we want to achieve that are perfect but if it's either you're so intimidated by this level of perfection that you can't even start like you're just frozen and like unable to take action because you're like, oh, this goal is too big. And if I can't do it perfectly, I won't do it at all. Um, Or maybe it'll end up in self-sabotage. If it's like, yep, this is the perfect diet I've planned this week. I have to hit these amount of calories. And if I have, you know, 20 calories over, it's ruined. Like a lot of these things do create this massive black and white, all or nothing kind of thinking. So what I try and do is kind of challenge with clients. What is that gray area in between? What does that look like? So we can identify, and I do a bit of an exercise with some clients um, where I get them to sort of do like two different columns. One is like, what is the really extreme version of what you're doing that, Mm -hmm. you know, you've identified is not good. So it's, you know, pushing every single day for workouts, even if I'm exhausted, would probably be on the two extreme lists. What is the absolute opposite of that? The total do nothing, like zero effort kind of thing. And that would be maybe not moving my body at all. Okay. So we can identify 
the all or nothing, both of those mm-hmm. actually aren't serving you, what would the happy place in the middle be? So for one client, it might be actually, you know what, I really hate the gym. Maybe I just want to yeah. move three times a week, but change it up. Maybe it's Pilates, maybe it's walk, maybe it's a home workout and just, you know, all right, cool. Then that's your happy place in the middle. Why are we trying to push for five gym workouts if you actually hate it? It doesn't align with actually what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's, you know, someone is a little more over to that side of the extreme, but in a way that still feels good. Maybe it's, yeah, when I can, I love training five times a week in the gym, but to be a little more happy place in the middle, it's, I'm going to start to prioritize my rest time. So if I do find that I'm more sore, tired, run out of time, how can I make peace with, you know, having a few sessions less some weeks when that's really important? What can we shift the focus to? Maybe it's, you know, using that same amount of time you'd normally be training to do some self-development work, do some stress management, do some mobility to kind of still use that time and feel like it's purposeful and kind of balanced, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, getting them to kind of identify what either end of the extremes are and then have them like, tell me what is the thing in the middle that would genuinely feel good. And it could be closer to the nothing end. It could be closer to the extreme end. But if it's genuinely, if they can tell me, yes, this would feel good. This is balanced. This fits in with my life and my you know values, then that's the right thing. So that's kind of how I figure that out for my clients and it will look different for everyone. Amazing. And that's incredible because that's a mutual goal that's made with a client. You're mm-hmm. not just making that goal on mm-hmm. your own and yeah. thinking, oh, this is what they need. Like they're actively involved in the process. Yeah. I'm very yeah. big on that. I will yes, always, sure. you know, probably to the point of annoying, I will always like encourage them. What do you think you would want to focus on this week? Where do you think you can be better this week? I'll always invite them to kind of prompt it themselves because a lot of the time they have the answers oh, <laughs> yeah. just, you know. we almost all know what we need to do yeah it's just a matter of having someone to be able to navigate the psychology mm-hmm. behind it yeah exactly so then you know if they suggest kind of things to work on as goals for the week I help facilitate that I keep them accountable if they really don't know then I'm like okay here are my thoughts on like what you've told me so far how do you feel about this but I'd like to make sure it's very collaborative because Firstly, like they'll be more on board if they're the ones kind of suggesting what the goal is or the behavior to kind of focus on for the week, then like they're obviously more willing to do it. But also it means that I'm not training my clients to rely on me forever because that's not what I want. Like I want them to have the autonomy. I want them to make their own choices. That's basically everything that I do is to say, yeah, how do we tune out from what you've been told to do and figure out what feels good for you? So I, I like to put it back in my clients' hands as much as I can. And I think that really does make a difference in them yeah, being able to kind of increase their self-awareness and make the change so that when I'm not there, they can do do that on their own. <laughs> For sure. You want them to be able to be empowered, to be able yeah. to take that knowledge, you know, go on holiday and, you know, exert that same knowledge and not be able to feel like everything that you're giving them only works in a particular context too. Yeah, sure. So with some of the clients that you're working with that have a little bit more of the binge eating patterns Mm -hmm. or that will tend to maybe emotionally eat, what are some of the things that you might help them to implement in that exact moment Mm -hmm. when they're experiencing a little bit more of a binge um, or if they're going to emotionally eat? So what are some of the things that you help them to navigate with? Um, So I guess coming back to like what the trigger is underneath, what the actual kind of why is for that cue to eat is most important like a little bit of work on that in advance is more helpful. So it's easier to put in, in the moment, I guess, because then you are a little more aware of what might have popped up in the day. But 
I guess what I really try and do is have the clients just pause and step away for a second if they do kind of feel that urge to binge or overeat coming on and just say, all right, what could be coming up for me? Is this, you know, am I actually physically hungry? And that's why I'm queuing to eat. And I just need to give myself permission to eat, even if, you know, I just ate and I'm still hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a food rule popping up that I just need to kind of make peace with that maybe I'm feeling a little triggered because I had chocolate that was unplanned and now I'm feeling like I should just YOLO and eat it all and start again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's, is that actually really helpful? Can I just make peace with just having a, a bit more chocolate and letting it go? Or is it like an emotional trigger underneath? So really kind of having them, you know, working with them in advance on what some of those things are that they kind of want to look out for helps them pinpoint it in the moment and say, is eating the best thing for me right now? Or is it that there's something else that can solve this underlying problem? And that's not to say that they can't eat at all, but I think just addressing that and saying like, actually, yeah, I feel like I probably am just craving because I'm freaking exhausted. I had a really stressful Mm -hmm. day. I just want something to take the edge off all right, cool. So is that the only thing to take the edge off? Or maybe you need a really long, hot, steamy shower or a meditation or like go and walk outside and just take some deep breaths as the sun goes down. Like, will that relax you more? And then come back. And are you in a better headspace to just say, yeah, maybe I just want a little little bit of ice cream or I want a little bit of something, but from a more rational mindset versus when you're just so overrun with all of those emotions, it's really hard to make good decisions. And then it's like, one food after another food after another, and it just kind of spirals. So yeah, encouraging them to just take a little bit of a time out, check in what's going on. Can I put something else in there first that I think might at least help solve that problem? And then if I still want to eat after that, then I'll slow down, be mindful, really focus on the pleasure or the comfort that I'm going to get from that food and like make peace with that. Okay. This just, you know, maybe didn't go perfectly today, but it's something I can, you know, keep an eye out for this trigger again in future. So there's always something you can learn. Yes, for sure. And I guess that's why it's so important to do the work in between, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than, than just waiting after, you know, binge after binge to be like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe next time I'll do something. But it's yeah. that work in between on trying to understand the emotions when they're not becoming so extreme. Yeah. The way I like to put it is that a lot of the time when we get to that point of like binge or emotional eating, it's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back in that moment. Yeah. And it's one seemingly maybe small thing that sets you off. And I really focus on teaching my clients where are those straws piling up through the day, through the week to make that pile so big that one little straw breaks the camel's back. Yes. And instead it's, can we keep on top of those straws, sweep them away as we go and make sure that even if there's one straw at the end of the day, you know, there's only a small pile of straws, like your window of tolerance, I guess, essentially increases if you're keeping on top of those things in advance. Yep. Yep. That's incredible advice. So for those that are listening right now and they're dealing with body image issues or disordered eating patterns, what are three key steps that you would recommend they take from today to help with getting the support that they need? Um, Great question. So first, I guess, is yeah, doing a bit of self-reflection on your own to identify what your triggers could be. So the three kind of main ones that show up are around physical restriction. So not eating enough calories, leaving too long between meals, like getting to that point of really physical, like hanger. Hangry. (laughs) Yeah, that can definitely cue it. Um, Mental restriction is the second one. So that's more around black and white thinking, food rules. I've ruined the day today. I'll have to, you know, start again Monday. All of those things a lot of the time can trigger that perfectionist of like Mm -hmm. self-sabotage. I'll write write the day off basically. The Monday thing is such Mm. a massive thing. I know. And the third trigger is around like difficulty regulating your emotions. So most people kind of have that one and then like one or two of the others a lot of the time, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, okay, 
are they things that show up in my life? How do they show up in my life? What can I start to look out for? So I know, am I about to be triggered or is this why I'm feeling triggered right now? Just so you can get that awareness and know kind of what to look out for. It's the most important first step. I guess, yeah, from there, it's just tell someone that you're struggling. You don't have to give them all of the ins and outs on how it's actually manifesting for you. But if your emotional binge eating is because you're often feeling lonely and isolated, or you're really going through some stuff that you're carrying all this weight on your own shoulders, like reach out to a friend or a family member, just let them know like you're having a hard time of, you know, some degree and just say like, Hey, actually over the next couple of weeks, do you mind if I reach out to you a little more or can you give me a pep Mm. talk or whatever it might be can be really helpful so that in those moments where you're feeling a little on edge, especially if you just pause, have think about your triggers and you're like, Oh, what else can I do in this moment? Talking to someone in that moment and just sending a text of like, Hey, like I've had a really stressful day. Like, you know, how are you, what's happening today? could be a really good way to kind of distract yourself and just feel a little more supported and prevent, I guess, some of the negative self-talk that can sometimes come. Um, And lastly is, yeah, working with a professional. It's really important to find a practitioner that gets you and what you're experiencing. And I mean, there are plenty of eating disorder psychologists, counselors, clinics that work specifically in that. And it can be in, you know, via lots of different methods. So I think finding someone that understands you, that you feel they wouldn't, you know, judge you, that you feel safe to open up and that you trust their advice. They're really important things to look for. So sometimes it's a bit of trial and error to find the right person. Um, But I think that can be really, really helpful to help give you the tools so that even if you have reflected and you kind of know where things are going wrong in terms of your triggers, if you don't have the tools or the ways to kind of work through that, it will take you a lot longer, much like kind of my own experience of having to figure it out on my own. Whereas having someone there to bounce off and say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. I think this is maybe where it's coming from, or they can kind of help put the puzzle pieces together for you. It just makes a world of difference to have the support, the guidance, the knowledge, and just creating all those coping tools that you essentially didn't have before. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think when it comes to seeking professional help, that's where I find a lot of my clients, even when we're discussing about maybe the next steps to get a little bit more psychological support, often their resistance is because of, oh, I've seen someone before, but it Mm. didn't help. And it's like, well, if you go on a date with one person and it didn't work, you don't (laughs) stop dating forever. (laughs) You often try to find the right person you you think you're going to be compatible with. And that's 100% the same when it comes to professional Mm -hmm. um, too. You want to be able to find someone that you can connect that can understand you and that you're open to be able to see if they can they can help you too so I think there's such incredible tips that you've given us and I'm sure plenty of people that have listened um, are going to be able to really refine what it is that they need to do in their next steps to be able to get in control of their eating and really restore their their relationship with their body image amazing yeah I hope this was helpful for everyone listening Yes, it's been incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. And for the listeners, is there somewhere in particular that they can find you if they want to try to book in for a consultation or do some coaching or yeah. just view all your amazing content? Absolutely. Um, so they can either head to my Instagram, which is just Sammy Rose, S-A-M-I Rose. Um, I've got a link in my Instagram bio that has everything in there. Or you can head to my website, sammyrose.com.au. And again, everything's kind of in there. But yeah, I offer counseling, coaching. I have a Befriending Your Body eight-week program that I also run um, every quarter. 
Um, so the next one's starting on the 4th of July and that is specifically around binge eating and body Amazing. image. It's a great program, but yeah, I definitely offer um, free 15 minute consultations. So if anyone wants to jump in and just book a consultation, I'm happy to chat, let you know what's oh, kind of, so great. Yeah. So I think it's so important to just like get the vibe. Like how would I work with this person? Do they hear me? Do they get me? And, you know, 15 minutes, you can actually cover quite a lot. So a lot of the time I'll try and give a couple of little, you know, tips and pointers to get them started along the way. And there's never any obligations to sign up to anything. I just, you know, want people to get a feel for things before they make a decision. So please feel free to take advantage of that. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm going to pop all your details in the show notes as well. So for people that didn't quite catch the deets or didn't get it in time, then I will write that down so then they can um, they can find you. But thank you so much for making the time to come onto the show. Um, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so great to chat. My pleasure.